that clip, of course, was from uh, Peter Jackson's adaptation of J.R.R. Tolkien's famous uh, trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. And I wanted to share that because first, Lord of the Rings is incredible, right? Just even watching that little clip, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. It is, outside of the Bible, the greatest story ever told. I will argue with you about that. There's, I mean, it's just factual at this point. Here's a little sidebar. Tolkien won author, like they did the author of the century in England. He won the award. The elites were so mad that he won it because he wasn't like, you know, part of the elite. Well, I mean, he was super smart, but he won part of the elites. They made him revote again, and he won by even more the second time. So Lord of the Rings is incredible. The greatest work of art ever created by one person. It's amazing. But secondly, in that clip, we get a glimpse, just a quick little glimpse of what's possible when we put this morning's topic into practice. This morning, I want to take a few moments to look at what God has to say about encouragement. Is encouragement something, you know, extra that we should do from time to time? Or is encouragement an essential aspect of the Christian life? Spoiler alert, uh, it is an essential aspect of the Christian life. It's so indispensable that as we're going to find out this morning, without encouragement, we won't make it. And not just us, but the people around us won't make it without encouragement. And to look at what the Bible has to say about it, I want to look at the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3 in particular. And as you flip there or open up your phone and go there, however we do it nowadays, Look at a little background on the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a letter of encouragement. It's written to encourage people who are going through a tough time. There's a, a group of Christians, and they're having their possessions stolen. They're getting put in jail. And people are asking, this is hard. Is this Jesus thing really worth it? I don't know if, I know a lot of people who are asking that question right now. Is this Jesus thing really worth it. And in the book, the author is, he's warning them and he's encouraging them not to go back to Judaism. Now, little side note, what's the temptation there? Why would they want to go back? Well, in the culture, in the world in which these people found themselves, the Jews had a special exemption. They didn't have to worship the emperor like everyone else did. There's a whole history behind it. Just trust me on it. Or find me after service, I'll fill you in. But he, they didn't have to worship the emperor. So they had a special exemption. Well, now you have these new Jews, Paul in the early church. That's how they considered themselves. They didn't say, oh, we're a new religion. We're just this new thing. No, they're saying we are the fulfillment of Judaism. So they come on board and they're like, well, yeah, we're Jews. So we get the exemption too. Well, the Jews... We're like, they are not Jews. Uh, they do not get the exemption. So that's why when you read the Bible in the New Testament, there's kind of always this back and forth. It's not necessarily a theological debate, although there was theology involved. It was a more cultural thing. It was a more political thing. It was a more, hey, we don't have to pay the tax. Uh, these new rebel rousers are trying to piggyback off us and not pay the tax, and now we're getting in trouble for it. So, so this is a group of people who are caught up in a lot. And they're asking, wouldn't it just be easier if we went back to how things were? So the book of Hebrews is written to these people and it's giving them encouragement. Let's look specifically at one in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 says this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. 
God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. Let's look at this text for a little bit. How, what, what's the author getting at? What's he trying to communicate? Well, first, he gives them some bad news. They're going through some hard times, and he gives them some more bad news. What he says is basically inside each and every one of us is a heart that's susceptible to giving up. Read it again. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Our hearts are faulty. They can't operate as intended on their own because of a myriad of issues. They keep veering off and turning away from God. It's like uh, when you go to Schnucks and you grab a cart and you get about 10 feet down the aisle and you realize it's that cart with the wheel kind of like always like pulls to the right and you start going you're like yeah no big deal I can handle this but the more stuff you put in there the heavier it gets and the harder it is to like turn it and then you got your two kids with you yelling and screaming so you're trying to like turn it and keep them and you're just getting angry and flustered and it's miserable so you just pay the $30 to have them delivered to you instead (laughs) that's what it's like our hearts the more we go on the more life happens the more difficulties that come there's a tendon, it's hard to stay on course. We've got to work and pull it back. And as if that wasn't challenging enough, there's this description of sin at the end of verse 13, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, we just spent 12 weeks talking about sin, so we won't go too far into it. But one of the ways sin is described is that it is deceptive. Think about when Adam and Eve, think about how sin first came on the scene. If you know the story, what happened? Adam and Eve were deceived. And if sin is, in fact, deceptive, who do you think it's going to deceive, going to deceive first? You. That's why it's easy to see the sin in everyone else, but not in our own life, because it's deceptive. So here's a group of people, cultural pressures, hearts that are faulty, sin that is deceptive, what in the world are they to do? Well, kind of like Sam and Frodo in the clip, right? What are, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, um, what are two hobbits supposed to do against the armies of Mordor? Frodo's at a point here where he's just tired. (laughs) He, I can't do this, he says. But what happens? In a moment, Sam reminds him That in all the great stories that they read, and spoiler alert, your life is a great story. In all those great stories, characters had the chance to turn back, but they didn't. What did they do? They kept going. And then what did Sam do? He picked them up, which will come into play here in a little bit, and he encouraged them. He encouraged them to keep going. So when we look at our lives and we look at the struggles culturally that we have, our hearts, sin, what are we to do? Verse 13 gives us the answer. But encourage one another. That sounds kind of strange, right? That against the wonderings of my heart, the power of sin, the answer might be encouragement. 
It sounds so simple and small that if you think about it, of course God would do it this way. Of course God could break the power of darkness, carry us through this life with something as simple, straightforward, and accessible as simple encouragement. But what is encouragement? When you look down there at the verse, you see that in verse 13, that word, encourage. What is that word? Well, it's a pretty awesome word picture in the Greek. The word is parakaleo, and it's a combination of two words, para alongside kaleo to call. So to encourage each other is to call alongside. That's a pretty awesome picture, right? To call someone alongside. Jesus uses the same word when he talks about the Holy Spirit. In John 14, he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. That word is parakaleton to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come alongside you. Just as the author of Hebrews is saying, encourage each other. Call alongside each other. Now, we don't run around and say parakaleo to each other, right? We use the word encourage. That word is a combination of two French words. In, meaning in, and Core, which is, I'm sure if you know French, you're just like embarrassed that I even tried that word, but it means heart, in the heart. That's another great picture, in the heart. So if you put those two together, English, Greek, you put those two word pictures together, what do we have? Encouragement is to call alongside and speak into the heart. That is an astonishing picture. Bafa Hebrews is saying, listen, I know it's hard right now. But listen, stick together. Get into each other's lives. Strengthen each other with your words. Now, I find it interesting that in God's world, and the authors, he writes this, that he chooses encouragement. Think about it. He, God could have done it a million other ways. The author could have wrote a million other words, right? He could have said, hey, it's hard. Do this. Teach each other every day. Hey, it's hard right now. Lead each other every day. You got wandering hearts. So listen, worship with each other every day. But that's not what he says. He says, encourage each other as long as it's called today. In a real way, he's saying, listen, you're not going to inform your way through this life. When things get hard, you're not going to just knowledge your way through it. He's saying you're going to have to experience your way through it. Encouragement is something that you experience. When someone speaks words of encouragement to you, oftentimes they're not giving you new information. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's stuff that you already know, right? Don't give up. Jesus is Lord. I know Jesus is Lord. But when people speak it, something happens. It creates something in me, and it's an experience. Now, in a silly, funny way, um, I thought about uh, my high school football team. Now, I'm 40, so anytime you start talking about high school, I was like, am I really going to tell a story about high school football? I'm like, 40. Um, so shame on you for not giving me a better story of encouragement. But um, when my high school football team was not very good, uh, my sophomore year, we lost every game, and multiple games, we lost like 72 to nothing. Okay, so we were like, we got beat up on a lot. Uh, but my senior year, we were pretty good. And there was a school in town, in Cleveland High School. 
they won like three state championships. They were like the greatest, you know, they beat everybody. My junior year is the first time we ever scored a touchdown on, on them. Um, yeah, they were really good. We were really bad. But my senior year, I guess we're really good. And we're going into that week and our coaches encouraged us. They just looked at us in the face and said, you're going to win this game. Like you can beat them. You're, you can beat them. Just play hard. You're faster than them. You're stronger than them. You could beat them. So much so that we won the game with like five seconds left, pretty dramatic fashion. If you want to relive my high school glory, ask me after service. I'll tell you all about it. Um, we won the game. And I, I was hanging out with some friends. We were like laughing about it the other day. But even going into, we won on like the last play. Even going into the last play, we were like, we're going to win. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but somehow we're going to win. And we ended up winning pretty crazy. But that year, we lost two games, one in the playoffs and another game we lost. And both those games, our coaches, I don't know, I guess they didn't think the encouragement thing was working. Uh, they tried to do the reverse, right? Oh, this team's really good. Oh, they're going to beat you. They're faster than you. They're stronger than you. You know, it did not work. Uh, we got blown out those two games. But in a small way, it's just a picture of what encouragement can do. Encouragement is so essential that God literally gives it as a gift to humanity. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 8 says this, for just as each of us has one body with many members and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then in prophecy according to your faith. If it's in serving, then serve. If it's in teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's in giving, give generously. If it's, in, if it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now think about that for a moment. Paul puts encouragement on the same level as preaching and teaching. I find that fascinating because we are children of the enlightenment, so we think it's all like knowledge, right? So we look at a church and we think, all right, if they got good preaching and uh, good leadership, then the church will grow and we'll get more influence and we'll plant churches and we'll send people out. That's how we do it because we kind of build a hierarchy. But there's no hierarchy here. Paul's saying encouragement is just as important as all those things. I've been in churches that had great preaching, great leadership, blew up, like got big, super fast, but it all came tumbling down. There were missing elements. People didn't feel encouraged. But think about that. Do you have enough faith to just believe God that we could build a church on encouragement? Would it be refreshing to know that every time you woke up on Sunday, you're going to come into this place and that there were going to be people here waiting to encourage you? Would it be incredible to be known as the most encouraging church in St. Louis? Now, one last thing about encouragement before we move on. Sometimes a good way to understand what something is, is to look at what it's not. And there's another Greek word, I think, that can show us an opposite picture. So, uh, Let's hold that word picture of encouragement, to call alongside and speak into the heart. There's a Greek word, it's called sarcasmos. Those of you laughing, you already know what this word uh, means in English, but in Greek it means to tear at the flesh, 
to rip at the flesh. The modern word, of course, is sarcasm. So think about it. Call alongside and speak into the heart or tear at one's flesh. Which of those two should dominate our thought patterns? This is a challenge for me, okay? Over the past decade, I've had to be intentional of this. I have to work at this. I don't naturally drift towards encouragement. I was even sarcastic this morning with Joe, who helps me at the greeting team, here every Sunday, all day, helping, and I told a sarcastic joke, and it was good for a laugh, sure. But at the end of the day, sarcasm is not uplifting. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, man, I can't wait to go to that church and hope someone makes fun of me. God, wouldn't that just be great? I love hanging around that guy who literally listens to every word I say, and then the minute I make a mistake, pounces on it and makes a sarcastic joke and then says he's joking when I get hurt. Like, no one thrives in that kind of environment. Sarcasm is not inspiring. I don't want to be that guy, so I have to work at being encouraging. It doesn't come natural, but I want to be. I want to be the kind of person that people, when they come into the room, they leave a conversation feeling uplifted. What would a church be like full of people like that? What would our marriages, our parenting, our friendships look like if they were marked by encouragement? And not only, like, would would it not be awesome to be part of a church like that, but wouldn't it be awesome if you were that person? Amen. Out of the mouth of babes. There it is, right there. Wouldn't it be amazing to be so shaped by a place and a culture that you became a person that wherever you were at work, sports, school, after wherever you found yourself, you're just known as that man or woman that people want to be encouraged by, that want to talk to. How do we do that? How do we create a culture of that at Rooftop? Well, I think we can look at this passage and he gives us three ways Three things about encouragement that we can do that will help create that environment that is encouraging, but also that will shape us into those type of people. There's an urgency required for encouragement. We're to encourage each other mutually and regularly. So with our time remaining, let's look at these. First, urgency. We have to understand the urgency by which encouragement is needed. It's not an add-on. It's not a, well, that would be great, but there's an urgency to it. More than our hearts that can wander away and sin and its deceptiveness, there's another hard part of this passage. Verse 15, he says this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. Hear his voice. Well, what's his voice? Encourage each other. So we just said, encourage one another. This verse tells me that in a real way, we as individuals can impact our own hearts in destructive ways. If we cut ourselves off from receiving and giving encouragement, we begin to harden our hearts. Think about the mass shooting in Uvalde uh, at the elementary school. How does someone get to a point where they could plan and execute such a monstrous event. I, I, I don't believe that man just woke up that morning and said, whoop, this is it. 
I've never even thought about this. This sounds like, uh, and then, no, of course not. It, took, it takes a lifetime. It takes decades of drifting, of deception, of hardening, and probably most heartbreaking, a lifetime of missed opportunities to encourage. What might have been different if someone, if there were five or six people in that man's life who could have encouraged him? What could have been different? What, what would happen if our church culture and then maybe, okay, society, what if every time something bad happened, we didn't cry out and blame politicians and say, oh, please come fix this mess? They should do things. I'm not saying there's no role in that. But what if every person said, I'm tired of this? I'm so tired of this. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to encourage five people in my life. I know there's that neighbor that no one likes who's crotchety and old and angry and he seems so bitter. I'm, I'm going to try to find some way to encourage that guy. I know there's that kid in my school who gets picked on all the time and he seems really angry. I'm going to encourage that person. Well, if everyone did that, what would be different? What could have been different in that small town? I don't think it's a stretch to say that when it comes to encouragement, it is a matter of life and death. And, and it's so urgent and the need is so deep that it's not going to be met by shallow encouragement. Hey, nice shirt. It's not going to stop someone's heart from being hardened. Okay. Hey, good sermon. I appreciate it, but that's not going to stop hearts from being hardened. But taking time to stop and look at someone and say, hey, tell me about yourself. Hey, thinking of that person, I haven't seen you in a while. Give you a call. How's it going? Or hey, I know you're going through a tough time right now. Can I, can we just pop over here for like two minutes? I just want to talk with you about it. Those are life-altering, those opening statements, those are life-altering conversation starters. Those are opportunities to bring Christ into and encourage one another. And finally, we have to do it, or sorry, not finally, we need to do it mutually. We have to be able to both give and receive encouragement. Verse 13, encourage one another. That takes probably the hardest thing to do in our culture right now. It takes availability. You have to be open to letting people get to know you so that they can encourage you in specific ways. And you have to be available to get to know other people so that you can encourage them in specific ways. This is hard, no question, but it's critical. It is a spiritual gift. We talked about it in Romans chapter 12. And we might be tempted to think, maybe you're like me, well, I don't have the gift of encouragement, so I just, good luck, everybody. No, we're called to do it, so we have to grow in it. It might not come natural to me. It comes natural to other people. But that doesn't mean I don't do it. It means I got to learn how to. I got to grow in it. How do you best do that? Well, you could go buy a book on encouragement. You could read the book of Hebrews. You could memorize scripture. But I think a better way is to get around people who are good at doing this. 
Now, I've been to Rooftop in November, so I've had many a lunch with people. I've been encouraged by, by many people. But one person kind of stands out in my mind, uh, uh, Nathan Young. Nathan Young is a guy that every time I go out and spend some time with him, he's looking to encourage me. I can just see it on his face. He's looking to encourage me in specific ways. Hey, I appreciate you saying that. You know, I've seen you do da-da-da-da-da. Keep it up. You're doing a good job. I've seen how you da-da-da. It just comes naturally to him. So get around people like Nathan. Get around people like Paul Mueller. We go to lunch and he, hey man, you're doing great. I've seen this about you. It's so incredible. Like, get around people who are encouraging that you can learn how to do it. And finally, the Bible says we have to do it regularly. In this passage, the author puts some emphasis on it. He puts some uh, timing on it. The need to do it regularly and often. He says three times he gives a time word, right? He uses the word daily, encourage one another daily. Twice he uses the word today. He says as long as it's still called today and today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I don't think the author's trying to create this like literal fundamental like literally if you don't encourage someone every single day your heart's going to go hard and you're going to fall off the deep end. I think he's using that kind of language to create like you got to do it now and you got to do it often. Have you ever talked to someone, maybe a boss, a coworker or something, and they say, "Hey, when do you need this done by? I needed this done yesterday." Your boss isn't saying build a time machine, go back in time and do it. He's saying, do it right now. And that's what the author is saying. Is it today? Yeah, it's called today, so I need to be encouraging today. So start doing this right now. Don't say, well, I need to pray about how to be encouraging. Like, just start doing it. Before you go to the parking lot today, find somebody and encourage them. And then keep doing it as long as it's still called today. Let me be here finally, this last, maybe maybe a little more direct. Maybe put a, a, a picture in your mind, maybe. If you call rooftop home, if like this is your place, like these are your people, this is your place, you, me, we together, we could make Sunday morning the most life-giving event in people's lives every week. People who call rooftop home, and people who are visiting and regular, like all those people, this could be the most life-giving hour and 15 minutes of their life every single week. There are 160 people who call Rooftop Home in regards to the fourth floor, right? So if you're newer and you're familiar with church membership, it's like that. We call it the fourth floor. There's 160 people on that floor. Now imagine with me for a second, if 160 people woke up every Sunday and were like terminators, like they just walked into this place and said, I'm going to encourage someone today. No one is going to stop me. I am going to encourage people today. I'm going to I'm going to find two people, give them encouragement. And I'm going to ask someone to encourage me. I'm going to be open and bold and go up to someone that I know and trust and say, hey, I'm struggling. Here's what's going on. Can you help me? If 160 people did that every single Sunday, starting next Sunday 
to the end of this year, this church would look like a different place. People would come alive in ways they or you could not imagine. That's low-hanging fruit, right? If you're, 100, if you're part of the fourth floor, you're coming here anyway. So you just, well, I hope you're coming here. You, you need to be coming here anyway, but it just takes a little intentionality. But what if you took a, maybe another step and you said, you know what? Between the Sundays, I'm going to find a small group of Christians to be in life, to be in relationship with, so that I can receive and give encouragement. We call those small groups at Rooftop. You can go on our website, you can find them, you can email me, I'll help you find one. But what if you spent the next six months just crazy enough to take God at his word, step into a relationship with people, encourage and give encouragement, give and receive encouragement. Or finally, what if you're a small group leader in this room? What if you took the next six months of your small group and before you left that small group every time, you looked at the men and women in your small group in their face, in their eyes, and you encouraged them. Hey, I know you're going through a tough time. You're going to make it. Jesus is going to see you through. He's not giving up on this world. I know that sin seems overwhelming, and then it's got so much power over you, but Jesus broke the power of sin. It doesn't have power over you. I know it feels that way, but it doesn't. You can do it. I love you. I'm praying for you. What if that was your small group? Like what? The Bible in Romans 12 says, outdo one another in showing honor. What if you just got with people and you just tried to outdo each other in showing honor for the next six weeks, six months? Why don't we take that step as a church? Let's do it. The stakes are really high. Let's do this for one another. And let's do it regularly. Do you mind standing with me? I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to sing a song. Would you bow your heads? And I know you've got a lot going on in life. I know it's July 4th. I know you've had a long work week. Maybe a week at home with kids, a week in the office. Or maybe you're on vacation and you took time to slow down and things maybe crept up that you didn't realize. Will you listen to this prayer? Lord, we come to you people with faulty hearts, people deceived. But we know that, Jesus, you're the great encourager. You, you took Peter, who had denied you, who in the most needed moment of your life, Peter walked away from you. And you resurrected and made him breakfast and you encouraged him. Lord, we need that encouragement this morning. We need to know that you haven't forgotten about us. That you haven't given up on us. Lord, you're going to do that through your promised Holy Spirit. So Lord, we pray that the Spirit would be upon us, that it would come alongside us, and that, yes, as we sing this song, it would directly speak to our hearts and minds. But, Lord, indirectly, as we leave this place, I pray that someone would grab us and say, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it. 
So Lord, whatever we need encouragement, I pray that as we sing, we sing it to you and your spirit would come and lead us. Amen. Will you sing with us this morning?